Thank you, thank you. So, so this is a year full of firsts for the captain and I. Um, so this is our first year offering uh, season, season one of, of Doc Talk. <laughs> we were in Portland, Maine earlier this year where we um, welcomed our first guest speaker uh, to, I think it was episode six or seven. And so now this is our first live, so thank you for joining us um, for this very special first-time occasion. Um, so like Tess said, uh, Captain and I just like to get together and um, I won't, it's not shoot the, it's like talk about, like just talk about what's share, going on. Share information. Share, in, yes, it's sharing information. And then Tessa turns it into this wonderful um, um, broadcast, and it is, like she said, everywhere. So what's going on, right? So um, for those of you that don't know, um, IRPT yesterday, we hosted um, the Kentucky legislators. When I was on stage this morning and I was showing you that stakeholder graphic, and I said the state legislature has a, an important and huge part to play in what we do and how we can grow our business. The only problem with that is they, they didn't quite know what their role was or should be. So Captain Monroe agreed to hold the legislators track to educate the Kentucky, um, the Kentucky Commonwealth, the, the Capitol, the Senators, and, and the House of Representatives. They have a multimodal task force committee, and this task force is charged with how do we help the ports and the terminals in Kentucky grow. So I'd like to ask you how it went. What surprised you most about that? Um, well, it went, I thought it went very well, and uh, I was very happy that a number of people stayed afterwards and stuff, uh, and uh, it was a delight to be able to do it because a lot of times uh, we don't get the opportunity to really help our educators and our legislators and our other folks really understand the tasking ahead that they have. They, they have great intentions, you know, but it always becomes a question of how do we get started, what do we do first, and everything like that. So what I did yesterday was spend some time really kind of talking to them about the whole realm of how transportation basically all works together, right, and the element that port is, because we have a tendency to look at these things in isolation. Oh, we're dealing with ports. Right? Not recognizing that we also have to deal with rail and road, a coordinated system, an approach to all of this. And uh, I think if we continue to think modally, right, that is to our disadvantage. Right? And I have noticed something very interesting. There's a lot of great deal more interest about what's going on with ports on the Inland River side than there is on the uh, coastal side because the co big port authorities and everything tend to set their own direction and everything in many cases. Uh, but I think on the inland side, I see the states are much more engaged, the DOTs. For sure. Well, so there's different. It's different. It's not that there's more or less inland versus coastal. It's just totally different. We can take a look at some of the different state aspects and regulations and policies on the state level that can totally impact the way that we do business. And actually, Senator Howell from Kentucky, he actually came to St. Louis to meet with Rich and I to really learn about what ports are, what is a port versus a terminal in the different modes and who does what and who's responsible for what. Because in the end, although money is good, it's not all about just the money. 
So we were explaining to Senator Howell, you know, the Illinois EPA came out with a salt storage conundrum and wanted to start putting regulations and said, hey, all terminals now have to cover your salt pile every time you bring in a barge. Well, that cost about $25,000 every time you do it. And until they came out and they learned that the impact that they were imposing on us was going to affect our profitability, thus the ability to operate on the river, that's when they finally said, okay, same thing is happening with the state fire marshal's office. Who knew a permanently moored vessel, um, in this case, maybe a, a barge, maybe it could be a dock barge, it could be a floating restaurant, it could be a stationary piece of equipment in the river that they're now calling a vessel now has to be inspected every five years. It must come out, go to dry dock, and be inspected. Well, who knew that, right? And to do that is, what, $20,000 every time you bring it out of dry dock. So we need the state fire marshal's office to know that the impact that you're imposing upon us is going to affect our profitability. And I, yeah, no question about that. And I think that a lot of times uh, people don't recognize the full scope of what a shipper goes through, for example. And part of the emphasis I talked about yesterday was helping the uh, folks that were there. And, then, you know, they were not only Kentucky, but, uh, you know, other folks as well. Uh, the reality of what are the impacts and what are the decision factors in regards to how you ship cargo. I think there's a great intent and a great deal of interest in wanting to make this happen. Uh, and I think what we see more or less is that a lot of times um, they're kind of swimming in a pool that they're not exactly, you know, sure which direction to go in. And we had a great discussion not only during the course of the program where we talked about all the elements of transportation, we talked about uh, what was going on in the industry, we talked about the aspect of strategic and master planning uh, and what the differences were, right? And, you know, there's a, a lot of confusion sometimes even among the ports themselves about the difference between strategic and master planning. Uh, what the criteria should be, you know, what the states can do to help, you know, and collectively, how do we get people to work together, all right? Because I think that, uh, you know, lacking in the United States a comprehensive transportation strategy and policy, uh, which has not existed in this nation since Harry Truman. Was you know, Harry Truman? You all heard of Harry Truman, right? It hasn't existed since <laughs> Harry Truman him. was president, right? <laughs> the reality in all of this is that that filters down to the states. So the best thing that I encourage them to think about was developing a strategic transportation policy that involves not only runways, rail, and road, but also the waterfronts and their waterways and stuff like that. Of course, there's a great deal of interest now because there's money to be had, right? But in the long run, the problem that I see in many cases is that it, it goes in fits and starts, right? Right now, we're lucky because we have PIDP and we have other things, so people are willing to invest in the ports. Three years from now, none of that may exist, all right? So the question is, how do you set yourself up for long, steady growth? And I was very happy to hear uh, what they were doing in the ports of Indiana because that's the right approach to it, is to take a strategic vision, right, and use it as a footprint and as a uh, roadway to get to path of success. And I think that what a lot of people don't recognize, and, and I don't care if you're a big port or a small port, that strategic planning is the key to success in building your business and accomplishing what you want to accomplish. And there is a very big difference between strategic planning and master planning, right? People a lot of think, I hear people all the time talk about, we're going to master plan. 
And really what they're looking for is a strategic planning perspective. And engineers in our consulting firms do a great job doing master planning and laying out properties and figuring out what has to be done. But strategic planning is about goal-oriented, right? It's about setting tasks. It's about moving forward and taking steps. And it's attached to time. I, I don't like strategic plans where people go like, oh, yes, we really favor intermodal activities. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know? All right. I want to see something that says, yes, in six months we're going to do this. In a year we're going to do this. In a year and a half we're going to. And that was one of the things I think they reacted to more than anything else was they said, yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to be able to figure out how to set some goals and objectives so we know how to get there and then who to talk to, right? And I said, you talk to everybody, mm -hmm. right, you know, in a series of meetings as necessary. So I got the impression um, in talking with the, the Kentucky State uh, Legislature as well as other state legislatures that they didn't quite understand the value that the private terminal plays in, in this whole uh, river transportation realm. Did you get that impression from them yesterday that they understood and, and have a path forward for inclusion into the private terminals into their master plan, strategic I plan? I think what the, the sense was they, they really kind of look at them as, as separate entities, and, and they shouldn't. Right, uh, and that I think I tried to, tried to drive that point home as well, is that you know, those of us who are in the public port sector, we speak government, all right, and we have natural leadership roles, right. But the fact of the matter is, is that the private facilities and the public facilities need to work together, and anybody who's doing planning at the statewide basis needs to take both into account. You can't just talk to the public folks without engaging the private folks. You can't just talk to the ports without talking to the railroads. And you can't talk to the railroads without talking to the highway folks. So the bottom line here is that you have to look at it holistically, right? And I do think that the public port agencies need to look after the benefit of the private sector. And the private sector does is always kind of, well, scared of what the public does because they don't want to share a lot of information because then it becomes public information. I understand that. But it doesn't mean that all boats don't rise equally with the tide. So to a detrimental point, yeah, we want to keep our business secrets secret. We want to become, you know, be, remain, you know, uh, competitive in that realm. But we also want to explain our value and our impact on the way that we are regulated and, and funded, right? So, you know, yes, I understand the privacy aspect, but I, I would, I encourage all of our terminals to share more, share more of your value, your impact on your community, the impact on your region, and the impact on our river. Well, this might be hard to believe, but there are actually parochial interests within our state, right? Where people, no. yes, it's, it's, it's surprised me as well, <laughs> right? And uh, what we tend to forget is this, is that uh, the ports compete with the railroads and they compete with the roadways, right? But they're also, the road and rail are partners with our ports as well. And that the ports are failing to work together within the context of a state or a region, right? Don't recognize that they're competing with other states and other regions and other areas. And so it behooves a state community with the leadership of the state. And I think that's the one thing that oftentimes kind of gets amiss, right? There's so many things going on within the context of state government, you know, social welfare and all the other things, that ultimately they need to develop a transportation policy and stay focused on it, right? And make sure that everybody's engaged. They are the catalyst that brings together the public and the private sector. 
All right, they are the catalyst that looks after the benefits of the infrastructure. How do we make this work? And, you know, there's been a, been a great debate about, you know, how do we get ports to work together? I've heard, I, some states are sitting there going, well, let's create a statewide port authority. Well, that might work, right? Other ones say, well, you know, maybe we get everybody to kind of meet together on an ad hoc basis. Well, that never works, <laughs> all right? But when you get people working together in a formal council, for example, uh, where they sit together like they did in Massachusetts, like they did in Florida, uh, like they're trying to do potentially up in Alaska, uh, it is to the benefit of everybody because the state's got to look after their own fundamental interests first, right? And then recognize that they compete with everybody else. Gotcha. Well, I think that's debatable. I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure the port council, bringing all ports together on one council is really going to help business grow, but that's totally debatable. Well, we could debate that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that's a topic for our next podcast. But, but I did find it was interesting that um, one of the problems we have with our ports and our states is that they're so consumed by what's happening at the local level, they forget to look at what's happening at, at the wider level. And uh, we had a op great opportunity to kind of talk about what was going on in the industry, you know, what's happening with new technologies. Uh, what benefits do we see in regards to, you know, container on barge? That seemed to be a very hot topic. Container on barge is always a hot topic. Oh, they were interested in container they were, on barge? They were interested in container on barge, and they asked me some blunt out. I says, you know, what makes container on barge work? What did you tell them? Well, I told them, I says, first of all, you touch base with Amy, and she'll tell you no. <laughs> but I said, the best way to get container on barge working effectively is to get an ocean carrier behind it. All right, because they're controlling the intermodal moves, all right, and they're controlling the deep sea moves. We have a lot of product that got pushed out of containers, right? Pre-pandemic, we didn't have that issue. They were looking for anything to put back in empties and send it back to China or wherever it was going, right? And then the pandemic came along and they were sending the empties back, you know, without reloading them, all right? And as you remember, this was one of the big issues with the Federal Maritime Commission, right? Now... Right? We have a, a great preponderance of empties. We've got a piles of them everywhere. And the question becomes, can these be reloaded? Well, part of the reason that agriculture in containers didn't work right, was because the cost of the containers were cross-transocean was somewhere in the neighborhood of $11,000. Right? And that made it totally uneconomical to do anything with. Right? Now, the average overall price is about $1,500. So it's dropped close to 90% from the high point down to where it is right now. And that now reopens the opportunities where people are going like, well, you know, we want to refill those containers. I think one of the things that I really emphasized yesterday is that the Inland River system, even though you all think of yourselves as, you know, being kind of your own little world, right, to recognize that you're part of a worldwide system of transportation and the flow of cargo, logistics, and all the rest of it are all tied together. And that's why we need to recognize what's going on here, there, and everywhere else. What happens in the world affects what goes on here in Louisville. It affects what goes on up in St. Louis, all right, because we're moving commodity. Even though international cargo only represents 10% of all the cargo moves in North America, 90% of it being domestic by rail truck or, you know, barge, uh, so the reality in all of this is that understanding what's going on worldwide and how it's going to affect our economies, you know, and how it's going to affect our transportation, you know. We know there's a great imbalance on the Inland River systems. you got maybe 80% loads going south and only 20% loads going north. How do we get that balance to work? So the answer to this thing is when you have a carrier who's dealing with container on barge, right, they're doing it in lieu of a more expensive truck move 
or more expensive rail move, which is what makes CCOR work, right? CMA, CGM, who handles that, and moving the pet products and stuff, because they're looking at it as a potential alternative and a cheaper alternative than moving it by a land transportation system. And that's really the key, all right, I think in most cases, because getting these alternative transportation modes that are less expensive, right, that that's what makes barge work. Absolutely, and that was part of our message last week. Tess and I went down to Miami to the National Association of Foreign Trade Zones annual conference, and Christine is exhibiting out there, so I definitely want you to go have a talk with her. But that was our message to the shippers, is that we are so much more efficient in the amount of cargo that we can carry, our cargo capacities, as compared to trucking it. And thanks to the Waterways Journal, who also is exhibiting out front, and I hope you all stop by, they had in the Waterways Journal last week uh, or the week pr pr prior, maybe, uh, a picture in 1949. Um, and we have a, a shipper's guide to, to river transportation down on the IRPT reg desk with this image in there. But what we're showing the shippers is um, back in 1949, there was a barge that was carrying um, 1947 Ford vehicles. And on this one barge, they were carrying 180 Fords upriver, delivering them to destination, and we give them that second graphic that says, as compared to how we're moving them now, and you'll see this semi-truck that's carrying four cars, and so that was, that was the message. Let us handle it a little bit more effectively, efficiently, and, and at a lower cost. Yeah, I mean, the inland water system, you know, you hit 38 states, you know, so I mean, the bottom line is a huge amount of cargo that's being generated here. And it's not appropriate for everything. If it's time sensitive cargo, you know, it's going to go by road or rail. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, when you're moving bulk commodities, when moving food commodities and everything, and I'm anxious to see how the agriculture is going to adapt to what's going on with Ukraine and the, and the decreased exports and stuff and what the planting is going to look like. But I think in the reality is, is for many cargoes, it's very appropriate. And for anything that's not necessarily time sensitive, you know, like the pet products coming out of Baton Rouge, right, is not time sensitive. But it's all under control of the carrier. So in many cases, people who are looking to make this work can do so, right, by first of all, understanding what they need for equipment, right? And there's a lot of great investment right now. We're seeing a lot of the ports, coastal, you know, Blue Water, Great Lakes, and Inland Riverport taking advantage of the money that's available. And do it while you can, because I'm not sure that spigot's going to stay open, you know, right. as, as things change. And, and we heard that from an earlier speaker today. Uh, do it while you can. And I think the aspect of having the right equipment and making the right investments. But if you're going to do that, you have to really plan it out and think it through. And that was the message to your legislators yesterday, was that you as a state need to have a strategic set of objectives on where you want to be that encompasses everybody. And then each of these port facilities and each of these terminals need to be doing the same thing, right? Because one of the criteria for, you know, getting money is basically what's my series of steps you're going to take, where do I hope to be, you know, and have a good narrative that goes with that that's really fundamentally sound, not just perspective, Right, but yeah, this is what we base this on, and this is why we think this is going to work, you know. And I found that people who use strategic planning, and there are several of you in the audience today who have, have worked through with our strategic plans, recognize that when you follow a good plan, it gets you there. Concrete doesn't generate business, 
right? Planning generates business, and that's what I'm very happy to see that a lot of the ports are now, and we have the breathing space to do that right now. Well, thank you for hitting Kentucky. You are one state into your 38-state tour. Because how do we get you to, to address this? And how do we get you to go to all 38 states and share that same message? Your master or your strategic plan, your master plan, this is what we do, this is what we need from you, and this is how you impact us. So just pack your bags. <laughs> I don't mind doing that. It's always a great, great opportunity to do that and everything. And I have to say that... Uh, you know, what what's I really enjoy about IRPT is the number of people that come in who are very much engaged in this, and I think there's a lot more cohesion here uh, than I've seen in other places. And I've done projects all over the world, so, you know, we see it up and down and everything like that. And, and I'm very grateful that our first corporate sponsor, our corporate partner uh, with uh, IAMPE was HDR, and I'm very grateful to HDR for, you know, uh, funding us, funding my travel again. We've uh, got 37 more states for you to fund. Yeah, they get to move me up and <laughs> move, move me up and down, which uh, has been great. But one of the things that have been very positive is to see the amount of money that's going into infrastructure investment, right, and the things that are happening and changes too. You know, this is why we have to pay attention. You know, there was a great push, for example, about wind. Right, and I remember you and I were talking. I think there was bourbon involved, but uh, you and I were talking about why can't why can't the river system devise these component pieces and move them down river, right, and assemble them eventually, which is exactly what they're doing on the Hudson River. They're generating parts and pieces up in Albany, and as they move down the river, they're picking up parts and pieces and they're assembling them at the South Brooklyn Terminal, right, which is eventually going to go offshore. The issue, though, is that the big companies that are investing in offshore wind are pulling back because of the cost of permitting, cost of cost of materials, because the grid can't handle some of the power that they're hoping to push into it. So as a result of that, we have to pay attention to what goes on beyond the rivers. We have to see what's going on worldwide and pay attention to those things uh, because it's going to have an impact. What goes on in New York and New Jersey or L.A. Long Beach is going to have a big impact on what happens in Louisville or St. Louis and stuff like that. We need to recognize that. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining me on, thank you so much for joining us on episode nine. And if you've missed any episodes, you can catch us online. So. Are we going to make up the additional time with music? Is there additional time? I think we went over. No, we're good. We're good. We're good. All right, we're good. Well, it's always a great pleasure. And um, I, first of all, I do want to express my appreciation to IRPT. You know, we're very lucky that we, uh, because of Amy and her education committee, uh, we have this inland program. Uh, we're doing one in Memphis next week, and uh, we'll do one in New Orleans, and we do coastal programs as well. Uh, but we're going to hit the 2,500 uh, mark for people who have been certified and trained worldwide. And we're the only ones who do this around the world. And you are one of our very first partners, ah. for which I'm very grateful for. You have ah. helped us come a long way with all of this over the last 15 years. So we're very thankful to that. Well, I'm taking the class next week uh, that I'm very excited about. The very first, the inaugural uh, class of the Inland Marine Terminal Operator uh, in Memphis, taught by our very own Rich Diffley. So I'm very excited to take that one. And I know that... Dr. Don is teaching the Inland uh, Maritime Port Executive class in, in Memphis, so perhaps I'll get to, to swing in. 
Just be prepared. You're bound to get a whole stack of notes from AB. <laughs> just suggested revisions. Just, just minor, <laughs> minor issues and stuff like that. So. Thank you. Thank you, Captain. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> Good job. Good job, my friend. Thank you.